the providence of God, this study that we have being done by the assistant pastors, especially Pastor Jason, actually fits into what I was going to speak on this morning. We're continuing our series on the doctrine of church discipline. This is lecture number 11, and it's entitled The Importance of Self-Discipline as Prescriptive, but as Corrective in the Discipline itself, because it's where you Change. Remember what the Bible says. It's not what goes into man that defiles him, but what cometh out. Out of the heart. Out of the thoughts. Out of the desires. That is the point in which sin originates. And I've told you this before, but just a good illustration. Don't know of how long ago it's been since I told you. But if you want a good illustration... You must remember, temptation is not a sin. Even the appearance of evil. Flee it, but just remember it's not evil because it's not a transgression. Three little boys sitting outside of a candy shop and the first little boy says, I'm going to go in and get some candy. So he goes in. He sees the shopkeepers in the back of the building he thinks to himself, I can steal this candy rather than pay for it. And he dismisses it, and the man comes out and he buys his candy, and he goes back outside. The second little boy goes inside, and he says, wow, I could steal this candy. The shopkeeper's back in the back of that building again. And so he plans out how he would do it. I can sneak this way and around. I can reach my hand around where he won't see it. I can take the candy. And about that time, the shopkeeper comes out and he goes ahead and buys the candy from the shopkeeper. Third little boy goes in. He says to himself, huh, shopkeeper's in the back of his store again. I can steal that candy. And he goes over and steals the candy. The first little boy does not sin. The temptation was there, but he dismisses it. The second little boy does sin because he plans, he dwells on how to steal that candy. It is in his heart. As much as if he stole physically the candy, in his heart, he has committed that transgression. He's covenanted. He's covenanted that which was not his. And that's a transgression. And understand, all the commandments come out of the heart. This desire, it covers it. It is so unique. It's why they say when you break one law, you break them all. They are so united together. And so as we begin to look at this, I want to move quickly. Actually, I'm going to divide this into two. We have people that are going to have to leave early today, and so we want to get everybody out as quickly as possible. And so I'm going to do something 
that I don't normally do. Well, I do do it. But I'm intentionally dividing this into two sermons. So we're going to move quickly here. Remember we said church discipline is summed up in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Moreover, our Lord says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more witnesses. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word that has been said between them may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come to look at your word, to consider the importance, the battle line that is drawn for the believer against the world in sin. The way the world thinks, its ideology, its worldview, its corruption that we often bring within the reach and even within our homes. not really paying attention to how it affects our thinking. Help us, O oh God, to overcome, to win the battle, it's sin. It is a lifelong battle. It never ends. I wish it did. One day, one day when you return and we are glorified, we will no longer have to deal with sin. We wait, O oh God, for that day when you will purify us, when you will resurrect us or transform us in the twinkling of an eye. We shall be like you, your children in your kingdom. We ask that you give us such power by thy spirit. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive what your word and spirit now will teach us in this hour. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We began three Sundays ago looking at the teaching on the meaning of church discipline. Carefully noting that it is rooted etymologically in the ideas of learning, of education, of tutoring, of training of discipling. That's what it means, church discipline. To disciple. To make one live the life they have been called to live before God. 
We have said that there is both the positive and the negative structure to all discipline in life. We began with the consideration of the positive structure to church discipline. And so it is, I want us to go further into that because self-discipline is corrective, not corrective by the church, but corrective in your own life. Based on, it is a prescribed understanding of the word of God that you must take under consideration. Self-discipline, self-control, enkratia is the Greek word. It's mentioned by Paul in Galatians 5.23. He says, gentleness, self-control, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, against such there is no law. This Greek word is often translated self-control, but it also is translated as self-discipline. To get control of oneself emphasizes the effect, while the latter part is the cause for the discipline. We must curb. We must learn to restrain our desire before or prior to the committing of God's law being transgressed in our thoughts and our actions. Thus, if you go back to my illustration, the war of self-discipline begins at temptation. This is where you must bring all things to bear. The word of God. If you know where you have been weak in your flesh. Some people are attacked by Satan in areas they have weak. For example, if a man happens to be an alcoholic. Do you not think a man who did not have self-control. That Satan is going to simply bypass him and not try to tempt him. Of course not. And so it is those besetting sins that encumbered our life. We must not take them for granted. Too often we deal with sin in a way as if it was something that we play with and we finally say, I can't have you in a life And rather than kill it and bury it in the ground, we hide it underneath our clothes. And at some point, we're going to drag it back out like it is something to be enjoyed. And you know what? The Bible tells us sin is pleasurable for a season. I'm telling you, brothers, if you were shocked Every time you committed a sin, most of us would probably be brain dead. But you wouldn't do it. You'd avoid it. Why? Not pleasurable. Not pleasurable. But that is the deception of sin. 
it does seem to meet the desire of the mind and the flesh for a season, but it has consequences. Most people can't see the consequences because it's like the old saying, they're so far in the forest, they can't see the forest for the trees that they're in. We get into sin and we don't realize the concept. You know, the Bible makes it clear. No man lives to himself. No man dies to himself. Every sin that we do has its consequences, not just in our life, but in the lives of others. And so it is, we've got to learn to restrain those sins. Get a grip, as it were. Get control of your life before you commit the transgression. It is the transgression that is to be avoided if you're doing church discipline in yourself. That self-discipline aspect of correctiveness. Well, you're in the church of Jesus Christ. So church discipline begins not only in the prescriptive preaching of the word, of which you are to apply the word of God to your life, but in that first step of discipline that you work to control daily in your life. Now, I've said this a thousand times. You'll never surprise me when you come up and say, I've committed a sin, I need help. We all commit sins. You just heard that from Pastor Jason. It's not the surprise to me that you will commit a sin. You're all sinners saved by grace. You don't really think that I believe any of you are perfect. I'm not perfect, so I know you're not perfect. I know as you get older, the desires all leave. It gets really harder to sin because you're about dead anyway. Avoid old age if you can. But you won't surprise me. You know what will surprise me? Is you don't get control of it. You don't say, Pastor, I've had this happen. It's like riding a bike. I simply say, get back on the bike and ride again. You wrecked it, get up on and ride. You had a sin, get back on your path of walking in righteousness. I'm not surprised that you're going to sin. Yeah, of course you're going to sin. We all do that. You heard Pastor Jason talking about how the, the divines even said, there's never a day that you're not going to sin. This is the hard road of the Reformed faith. This is the, the aspect of a progressive sanctification. You're going to walk in the righteousness, persevere in the faith. It's a part of our doctrine. Does that mean you don't sin? It means you go to war with sin. You put it to death and you work to keep it in the ground. 
But the temptation is going to come. So, avoid known temptations. So if a man, as I said, was an alcoholic, and he has to go from one side of town to the other to go to work, and he walks, and he has to walk right past ten beer joints, he needs to walk a different path. Why? He needs to avoid the temptation. Doesn't mean somebody can't drink in moderation, but the truth is he had a besetting sin. He needs to be very careful. And you know, sin always comes in, well, I'll only do this much, but I got news for you. This much becomes a little more and a little more until you're sucked into the whole sin. Read what Paul says about how sin progresses to finally kill you. And that's the goal of Satan. He wants you to die in your sin. Our battle is with old Slufa. He's the father of lies. He's the deceiver. And there's nothing more that gives him joy than someone who professes Christ falling into a besetting sin in their life. And they just don't seem to get control of it. It's where your war is. It's where you've got to battle. The question is not, do you sin? Of course you sin. The question is, are you warring with your sin? Are you a warrior against the sin of Satan, the transgression of the law of God? And are you putting on in the positive side the righteousness of Christ that he has ordained for you to walk in every day of your life? That's the question. Are there fruits? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Surprise. Those who run in a race, they're all running. But one receives the prize. Just one. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. He's giving you an illustration of living righteously. There's a award waiting for you. You who persevere to the end in your faith and you live for Christ, you're going to receive the eternal reward from God. Just like when all the runners run, but it's only one who gets the prize. You've got to be the guy who is running this race to receive the prize. Do not take your eyes off the celestial kingdom. We're taught that in Pilgrim's Progress. Keep your eyes on that celestial kingdom. He said, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. Again, our word, in kratia. Is temperate. He's self-controlled. He's able to get a hold 
of his life, of his sins, and control them. He's able to war against them. You can't war in the flesh. You'll lose. He's got a war in the Spirit of God. He is temperate in what? All things. He is controlled in everything of his life. Do all things in moderation. Have self-control. And if you can't control it, it's not a liberty. And you must stop anything that will cause you to transgress the law of God. He says, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. They're running a race, they're going to get a perishable crown. That means a physical crown. Doesn't mean anything. You've got a crown. So you, you won the race. Goody for you. But we, for an imperishable, our end is eternal life with Christ. It's an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. I'm not confused about this. Thus, I fight. That's the question. Are you fighting your sins? That's what self-discipline is. Not as one who beats the air. I'm fighting. I'm not shadow boxing. I'm at war with sin. But I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, he says. Because that's the sign of righteousness. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Because I do not bring and disciple my body properly. Here Paul is clearly speaking of discipline in a metaphor that is explaining through athletics, how we are to run our life as believers transformed into the image of Christ. The idea at the root of the word obtain pertains to holding, gripping something in your life. Self-controlled person is one who has a hold, a grip on himself, morally speaking. It begins with the desire of the heart. It begins in here. All sin does. And just because you do it here doesn't mean, well, it must be okay. It says I'm already in sin. I might as well go ahead and do the physical got news for you that becomes worse sometimes what you have in here when it becomes physical becomes a crime now you got two problems you got a problem not only with god but you got a problem with the civil magistrate who may say you know what for that wicked act we're gonna put you in prison or we're gonna kill you because he's called to be a suppressor of evil in our society now, the one we got 
today in Washington, D.C., and all of his administration, that ain't happening. They violate Romans 13. But I'm telling you, all sin begins here, and you must fight it here. This is where the Spirit of God indwells you, if you say you're a Christian. So the fight begins here. When the temptation comes, you've got to understand temptation for what it is. Now, you may be tempted, but you say, no, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not. Think about it. I'm going to flee from it. It's always good to know where your weaknesses are. Learn scripture that tells you how to deal with those weaknesses. Let that flow from out of your heart. I will not be controlled by Satan. I will not be controlled by transgression. I will not be controlled by my fleshly desires. But brother, the Spirit of God that indwells me will help me in my control. You must lean upon Christ, upon the power of the Spirit that indwells us to win this battle. Thus, I say to you in this metaphorical way, get a grip on yourself. You heard that a lot of times. That's where it came from. Self-control. Get a grip on yourself. Don't think that way. Get a grip on yourself. Do it right. Control yourself. Discipline yourself, self-control, self-discipline. You want to win the war with sin? You've got to fight at that point of temptation. Remember when Satan goes in the garden and then you hear the same thing when he takes Christ up to the pinnacle and he says, hey, you see all these kingdoms? If you'll bow and worship me, I'll give them all to you. And what does our Lord say? Those kingdoms aren't yours. They belong to God. He's given them to me. Now, if you want to put it in more modern terms, basically says to Satan, you're an idiot. You mistakenly think you control anything. You're God's little devil on a chain. You can only do what he says. And I'm here to defeat you. Satan tried every temptation, including, I'm sure, in getting them to crucify Christ. They thought in hell they were dancing. We've put him to death without knowing that his death was going to bring redemption. We're to be like Christ. What can Satan offer us? Pleasure for a season? But wait till you get the gift that comes with the sin. I remember a friend of mine said that some of his friends were out hunting. And they shot at a bobcat. 
It's up in Ohio. And they grazed it. It knocked it out. They went over and looked and said, what are we going to do with it? One of the guys said, I know what. Let's have fun. He said, I've got a suitcase in the back of my car. It's empty. Let's put him in the suitcase. And he says, let's put it out by the road and see if anybody will stop and want to try to steal that suitcase. And he said, there's a lot of cars that slow down. And he says, no doubt the suitcase had a real surprise. And he said, finally, a bunch of guys came by and they stopped the car and they got out and they looked around, they looked around. There was just two of them in the back seat got out. And they ran, got the suitcase and they looked. He said, they ran and got in the car. He said, we followed them all the way to where they went off the road and out of the car, four doors open. Guess what their surprise was? A bobcat that was really mad at what had happened. And when they unzipped it, they got a real surprise. Sometimes the end of pleasure of stealing, getting something for nothing. Ah, this belongs to somebody else. I'm going to take them because they're not around. Unfortunately, the end thereof is not always what you expected. And I'll guarantee you when it comes to sin, it's never what you expect. Never. Get a grip. Don't believe the lie. It will destroy you. It destroys everybody. We're all, without the power of God, we're all vulnerable to it. We all can be sucked in to that sin. So it is, we've got to have the power, the strength of the Spirit that's given in the teaching of the Word of God into our life. The Spirit will never lead you where the Word of God will not direct you. Never. Anybody who pits the Spirit of God against the Word is an idiot. He wrote it. He moved holy men to write the word. He'll never leave you. He'll never do anything to direct you away from the written word. The word becomes important. It is our foundation. That's why we believe in sola scriptura. The foundation is the word of God alone. God's word written. That we can know the truth. We can know, understand what his commands are. Know what his law demands of us. We're not in our own power. We're already saved if we're in Christ. We're not being saved by keeping the law. But if we are saved, we are keeping the law. We are trying to strive against transgression because if there is no law, all bets are off and all crime and sin is forgiven before God because Christ erased it. 
Well, see how nonsensical that is? That means I could sit up here, take my 9mm and say, Hey! Brother Austin! You sinned last week! Bang! He'll get a lesson out of that. Well, there's no crime. There's no sin. It's all forgiven. You don't even ask for forgiveness. Why? No sin is going to be held against you. Why? Christ eliminated the law. Oh, how foolish. How foolish people think. And Satan gets them to believe that nonsense. That means you can rape, you can commit adultery, you can kill, you can steal whatever you want. Does not matter, you've already been forgiven. There is no law. Where there is no law, the Bible says there is no transgression. People, please get your head back in the book. Get a grip on your life. Learn what the law of God says and demands of us as believers. Self-control comes. It is a result of the work of the Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit. This work makes the believer sturdy, dependable, and self-governing. It enables the believer to obey the word by pleasing and not grieving the Holy Spirit that indwells us. We aren't fighting the Spirit. We're supposed to be fighting the sin. Self-control is not a control that comes from within man himself, but from the spirit that indwells us in regeneration. It is self-control only in the sense that he is not dependent on other humans for that control. It is guided, it is directed by God himself. Self-control, self-discipline is the beginning and the end of the discipline process. Because why are we being disciplined? To become a disciple again, to live the life. We're not students of the word, we're disciples of the word. What is church discipline? It begins with what? Self-control, getting a grip. And when you can't get a grip and the church has to step in and be a part of that, what are they trying to do? Tell you to get a grip. Why do we have to have church discipline? Because you won't listen. No, you listen, but you don't hear. You will not fight. You will not strike out at every temptation and say, I will not. I will not be sucked into this sin and the consequences thereof, no matter how pleasurable it might be. And you know, that's what drags us back in. Well, I haven't done that in a long time. This is kind of be, you know, a little pleasurable. I'll do it. Problem is, you get into it and it keeps dragging you in further and further and further. 
This is such an important element. This kind of discipline demonstrates a maturity in the believer. It is that which makes eternal, formal church discipline unnecessary. And if I could have a church that people would govern their own lives and I'd never have to bring one under church discipline, I'd like to pastor that church. Because I know when I get into a, a conflict with them confronting their sins, I'm in for a fight. Especially if they're under the control of that sin. They're going to fight me. They're going to fight the pastors, the elders. They're going to fight the church. Do not disturb me while I'm having pleasure. But it runs out. It runs out eventually. And it begins to corrupt and eat your life and your soul. We live by spirit and word. And yes, we're tempted and we struggle. And we fail. Like I said, I'm not surprised when you fail. I'm surprised if you don't fail because I know you got a war going on. The question ought to be, and even the confession directs us, we ought to be saying to each other, how is the war with sin going on in your life? Is there anything I can do? Is there anything I can pray for? Is there any way I can help you? Because the end thereof in thereof may not be what you thought the reward was going to be. How can a man die in a besetting sin and convince us by the word of God that we were to believe he's a Christian? He might be, but according to the word, he's not. He's not. He may not be what he professes to be. And you know, we do this. We, we train for this. We have the fifth commandment. What does it say to do? We train up our children. We teach them what? Discipline in their life. Don't do this. Don't do that. Do this, do this. We train up children to what? Be self-controlled people. That's what the church does. We are a home. God has given us a law and he said, teach it, teach it to them. Don't do this, don't do this, but yes, go and do this and this because this is what is right. That's how we mature. We are little children in the kingdom of God being matured into adults. How do we know that we are mature? We have self-control. You ever remember the fearfulness of the first time that your kid says, hey, guess what? 
I'm just about old enough to get a driver permit. <gasps> and then a driver's license. And what are you worried about? Self-control. Can they be responsible to handle it properly? If you're not a parent, one day you will be. You'll know what I'm talking about. You who are parents, you already are probably experiencing that very thing. What are you trying to get your children to do? To be mature. To get self-control in their life. So that when they do responsible things, they act responsible with them. Whatever activity they're involved, they're always thinking and considering the end thereof if they are controlling properly their actions. Because foolishness can lead to a disastrous life. Control. Proverbs 16.32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Self-control here. This is what he's talking about. It's making a point. And he who rules his spirit, then he who can take, conquer a city. Proverbs 17 and 27 says, He who has knowledge spears his words. Very careful about what he says. He considers, he measures out his words. And a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Is that who you are? You have self-control. Or if I can say it in another way, have you got a grip on your life? Has the power of God led you to understand where temptations come and how they can deceive and how they are so deceiving because the pleasure you thought they would bring ends in disaster? And the Christian life, what are we looking for? The fruit of the Spirit. The good works ordained that the Bible says you were to walk in. Well, what are we trying to do? To be sure that that is really a part of your life. Discipline isn't to be mean. It's to ensure that one day when you pass from this life, If we can say in using the metaphor, your trip is upward and not downward. But I say to you, many have come to that point in their life. And what they thought being upward turns out to be a disaster. And they end up in hell. That's where we don't want you. That's why we love you. That's why we want you to get a grip. We want to help you. And if you get so consumed in your sin, then we've got to bring the power of God upon it. And therein is the promise. 
That which is bound in heaven will be bound on earth, and that which was loosed on the earth will be loosed in heaven. That is real power. You're talking about the creator of the universe. His son has told us that. And where we gather in the name of Christ to bring about correction, he will be in our midst and he will grant what we have asked. Not one man, but those who are seeking to correct properly. For what? For them to sin? For them to flee their sin. Because sin ends in disaster. I can tell you that. I've been privy to it. I've been close to friends whose lives just were nothing but in the end a disaster. I have no reason to believe they're Christians. I love them. I thought they were but they turned out not to be what they said. And their life turned out to be a disaster. Please, please, get a grip. Get a hold of your life. Get self-control. Fight the temptations. Don't give in. You can, by the power of the Spirit, control it. There is victory. In Jesus, shall we pray?